I'm holding my son, complaining silently to myself <laughs> that he's crying, keeping me up, and I got stuff I gotta do tomorrow. And I really felt the voice of the Lord in my life, and I remember the backdrop of the loss that we had experienced. I felt the Lord say, the fact that he's crying means there's breath in his lungs. And, and right after that, I heard God say this, don't ever be mad about a good problem. Welcome to Dreamers and Disciples. Today I talk with Reggie Beasley. Reggie's the worship ministry pastor at Elevation Church. And this is a fun conversation because Reggie is a passionate guy who's a lover of God's word. He's a great teacher of scripture. And he also happens to have taken over a lot of what I used to do when I was worship pastor at Elevation. So naturally we talk a lot about how to navigate and overcome the insecurities of change and transition, how to learn to love good problems, what it really means to partner with God, and also rejecting the idea of good enough. Now we talk a lot about good problems, like I said, and really that goes back to how you frame the problem. And that's one of the messages of my new book, This Dream Is Not For You, because many times we see a no to our dream as an ending. We see it as a problem and it can be a painful one but we can also choose to see it as a beginning to something new, a new dream that God wants us to dream in a new season of our lives. So if you are in that place now, I wanna help you embrace the goodness of God's yes, even in the face of a painful and unforeseen no to your dream. So if you're struggling to pick up the pieces of your shattered dream, I believe the message of this book is for you. You are why I wrote this. So you can find the link in the show notes and YouTube description to read the first chapter for free. I would love to bless you with that. And if you love it, go ahead and pre-order a copy of the book. It releases September 12th, but I have some fun surprises for those who pre-order before it releases. All right, so make sure you check that out. And now it's time to join my conversation with Reggie Beasley. Reggie, welcome to Dreamers and Disciples today. Hey, Wade, how are you? I'm doing great, man. It is, this is something we've talked about for a long time about having you on the podcast because we have these little unrecorded podcast episodes a lot over lunch every two months or so. You're exactly right. I feel like we do this on a rotating basis and today we're just going to hit record and see if other people can learn something from the crazy stuff we say. So <laughs> I think it's good. I think it's going to be a good time. And here's what I'm really excited about today. Besides just people hearing just how you process and think about faith and about life and about ministry, but you're the worship ministry pastor at Elevation Church. And you've been in that role, what, for 18 months? Roughly, yeah, about that. And the reason I know that, because I have been out of that role for about 18 months <laughs> because I was the worship pastor at Elevation Church. And just to say it pretty bluntly, you you took my job, basically. Oh, man. <laughs> that makes it sound maybe like it played out a little differently than it actually did. Yeah, I don't know if I could ever say it that way. I think uh, I'm stepping into some of the roles you filled, but nobody can replace Wade. Oh, you're so sweet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But actually, I mean, and we can talk about that a little bit more later, but I thought it would be really interesting to have you on the podcast to talk about transitions and, and when you leave a certain role or position. It doesn't even have to be ministry. It can be anything in life. You know, on, on my side, how do you do deal with the insecurity of someone stepping in to shoes that you used to fill 
and doing it better than you did it? And then how does the new person step into, you know, the shoes of somebody who was in that role for a long time? And there's insecurity on both sides of things. So we'll get into all that probably and how we've both navigated that and how do you do it well and how do you do it in a healthy way? But first, I want to ask you the question that I ask everybody. What are you dreaming about right now? Oh, what am I dreaming about? That's a very fitting uh, question to start off your podcast with, Wade. That, that's that's good strategy on your part. Um, I want to answer that. But before I do, I just want to affirm something on your life. I love every time that we get to speak. And we had lunch very recently. And I remember leaving that lunch that we had, sitting at Kava, eating our salad bowls, like good, <laughs> like good men who have to think about these things more than we used to. <laughs> yes. Um, and I remember leaving that lunch that day thinking, I have never seen you as confident in your authority as you are right now. Oh, and the one thing, that, one thing that I love about you is every time I leave a lunch, I get insecure, Wade, whenever I leave a lunch with you, because I feel like all I did was talk the entire time <laughs> because you are so good at asking questions and mining the gold out of other people. I'm like, did I even ask him one question? Because I, <laughs> I want to be the person that's like always asking questions in the heart, heart of a student, you know? But you just always know how to ask the questions that get the most out of people. So I'm just thankful for that. And uh, I just see it on your life that you're walking in some really great stuff right now, what you're doing on the podcast and the way that you're helping and equipping other churches. I just wanted to celebrate you because it seems obvious from the glimpses I get of your ministry that God is just using you in a way that's not only right and good, but it seems to be fitting uh, where you are right now and where he has you. So I just wanted to say that. Is that okay? Yeah, that's incredibly kind of you. So thank you, man. That that means a lot coming from you. Man, I I really do mean it. I I promise I do. Let let me uh, answer this question. So dreaming. Well, in the natural, I'm not dreaming very much at all because I'm not (laughs) sleeping very much at all. 10 weeks ago, my wife gave birth to our second little kiddo. Uh, He's a little boy named Cohen and he is cool. So in the natural, not dreaming much because I'm not (laughs) sleeping much. But what God has done... In these past 10 weeks in my heart, since Hannah and I had invited this new little boy into our house, that's been crazy, man. God is breaking me in all kinds of new ways. And really, I'm shifting into a corner to where my dreams are really the way I'm dreaming through the eyes of others. Wow. So whether that's what I'm seeing in my kids, I've got a five-year-old daughter as well, and what I want for them. Mm-hmm. And then and then my, my dream gets to be a come alongside of kind of a dream, you know, to where it's as big as I can dream right now is raising a daughter that's going to grow up to be a world changer to raising a son who's going to grow up and do incredible things for the kingdom of God. Uh, And so now my dreams are like, how do I partner with that? And then even in my role at our church, it's kind of similar. It's dreaming through the eyes of others because whenever I accepted this role, uh, it kind of meant a shift in some Mm -hmm. things that I had done for a long, long time. Namely, I'll call one out specifically, leading worship every single Sunday. Yeah, uh, That's something I had done since eighth grade, over 20 years. I've been leading worship basically every single Sunday with no breaks except during <laughs> COVID, <laughs> yeah. which was not fun. Uh, so, not, not the break you wanted. Not the break any of us wanted, I don't think. So, so as a re- byproduct of all that, I'm reassessing my role and I'm thinking, is the most valuable thing that I can do when I do a campus biz- visit, uh, for, for instance, the most valuable thing that I can do might not necessarily be to lead a song. It might be to be fresh eyes in the background. 
So mm -hmm. my role needed to shift. And so when my role needed to shift, whenever my focus needed to shift, I think my dream is turning a corner and shifting along with it. And God is bringing me to a place where I think as big as I can dream right now is the dreams I'm dreaming through the eyes of others. Wow. If I can be an, if I can be an equipper of the saints, gosh, that's what I feel like I'm called to step into and walk in. And honestly, it, it brings me so much peace just to say that out yeah. loud. Like, gosh, can I just dream about being the best equipper mm -hmm. of people that I can be, whether it's in my house or those that I lead. Well, I, I love that you went there because, I mean, something I've said on this podcast many times, and it's something that I got from Pastor Stephen, is mature ministry is being more excited about what God does through others than what he does through you. Mm. And it feels like that's exactly what you're walking in right now. And honestly, I think a healthy dream is always meant to be focused on how you can serve or bless other people, whether it's your family, whether it's the people you serve with, the people you work with. A dream can't be inward focused and be God honoring. I think it has to be about empowering other people. So oh, how hold on, you better say that again. A dream, what did you just say? <laughs> a, dr a dream can't, this is too good. I'm about to shout you down while you <laughs> preach. A dream can't be inward focused and be God honoring. And But I wonder though, how have you navigated that tension of, okay, I have these things that I love, like leading worship that I used to get to do all the time. And now you're finding fulfillment in other areas. Is there ever that war within you of, ah, but I still like doing this and I wish I could do it more. How, how do you reconcile those desires? It's a great question. Is there ever that war? I think there is always that war. I think there's always that war because whenever I think about a dream in the sense of what I do, I think about a dream in terms of opportunity. Mm -hmm. But whenever I think about the way that God is challenging me in my heart and my motivations right now, the dream is shifting away from opportunity and more into identity. But that, wow. doesn't, mean that, that doesn't mean that that struggle won't always be there. This is something I had the opportunity to teach our worship team really, really recently because kind of been thinking about two things that were in the garden that really, really surprise you if you mm -hmm. take a second to think about it. Like this was before the fall. Creation was good. They were chilling in the garden. God was coming in the cool of the day. Mm -hmm. Life was glorious. I don't want to tell you about what clothes they were wearing, but they were living in the glory. Or lack so, of clothes. That's what I'm saying. So this is before the figs. So before all that, before any of that happened, there were two things in the garden that if you pause long enough to think about it are kind of a surprise. One, there was work. They had a responsibility to look after the garden, to tend it, and then to tend it, and then to join in something that God does whenever He calls things, He names things. To name creation is actually a huge benefit that I think we overlook in our life. What you name something is so significant. And so there's that thing that surprises me, which we'll just call that an assignment to accept. There will okay. always be an assignment to accept. But the other thing that was in the garden, and this ties into that tension and that wrestle that you were talking about, was there was a serpent in the garden. So there was an assignment to accept, but at the same time, there's an adversary to overcome. Mm. And I think if we're honest at any point in our life, whenever we're walking in what we know we're called to walk in, those two things are true. There is good work to do and there's something to overcome. So I'm grateful for that because more than anything, it doesn't challenge what manifests on the outside of me, but it deals with what's going in on the inside yeah. of me. Now, that's an answer to the question. The truth is we all love to get to do the fun thing. And, an <laughs> yeah. and another, another thing about opportunity 
I very recently got an opportunity to do something pretty cool in our ministry, and uh, I was only able to do it because one person invited me to that possibility. And after it was over, shot him a text saying, thank you. Um, those of you out there who are under someone, say thank you more than you say thank you. Uh, I think Jesus healed 10 people and one of them returned to say thank you. I think there's a good truth in just being like, hey man, thank you for noticing me. But one thing that I love about opportunities, and maybe I'm talking to the leaders now, is whenever you give somebody an opportunity, what you're really giving them is I see you. I see the value that you bring. I see what you contribute to community. So on one hand, I don't want to go overboard and say opportunities are evil because one of the ways that we show trust and empowerment in others is by the opportunities and responsibilities we ask them to take on. So there is definitely a a duality to that thing. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the wrestle that makes us stronger. I think that's the struggle that makes us better. So I love that. Uh, And and maybe even to... Well, first of all, to circle back to something you just said about how did you de- how did you describe the work and the the serpent? How did you what was the language you used? There was the opportunity. Yeah, I think what I would say is in every season there's an adversary to overcome and an assignment to accept. Assignment to accept. I like to point out the fact that sometimes people think work is part of the curse of the fall, but there was good work present before the fall, like being an image bearer of God is part of our purpose. It's actually, we are imaging God by the way we, we steward creation, by the way we, we fulfill the task that he's given us to do. And so there was work in the garden. So I love that you point that out. Man, that is so incredible. You mind if I jump in here real quick? Yeah, go for it. So, so to that point, you were talking, contrasting, there was work before the fall. But then if you remember the word that was spoken over Adam after they ate of the fruit and they were about to get kicked out of the garden, what was said over Adam was through thorns and thistles, through work, you will produce from the ground. Mm. Now there was work before the fall. So The curse didn't give work, but what it did was it made it his identity. He was entirely dependent on God in the garden. God planted the garden. He was just looking after what God gave him. After the fall, he was responsible to sow the seed and to draw everything out of the ground on his own. Now, that doesn't mean God didn't send the rain and God didn't help. But the, the, the fact remains that Adam would have derived his identity as a provider and what he was able to produce. Now, if we fast forward to the cross, a moment that I absolutely love, one of the times that Jesus bled was whenever they put the crown of thorns on his head. So for Adam, it was through the thorns and thistles you will produce of your work. But Jesus, Adam sweat from his brow. Jesus bled from his brow. Adam worked through the thorns. Jesus bore the thorns to redeem that back so that we don't derive our identity anymore after what we work for, how we produce and what we're able to accomplish. But through the finished work of Christ on the cross, we get to step into the blessing and be a co-laborer, a partner with him in the good work he's called us to do. I love that. That that motivates me. That's such an incredible insight. You mentioned that at lunch the other day, and I wanted to run a lap around Cabo (laughs) when you said it. You know, as we're talking about, you know, the work that we're assigned to and the adversary to overcome. So 18 months ago, you stepped into a new assignment as worship ministry pastor. How did you feel stepping into that assignment? What did you have to overcome to step into it because there might be people listening right now that they're stepping into something that feels like, oh gosh, I have no idea 
what to do in this role. I have no idea what to do with this assignment. How did you handle that? And then also, I think it's just, it's rare for people to hear a conversation sometimes between people that are in both of our positions to where I was in a position for a long time, I left and you occupied the position. And there hasn't been a spirit of competition, but of mutual encouragement. And I want to talk about how did we work towards that and what insecurities did you feel and what did I feel and how did we process those? So I said a lot, take it wherever you want to take it. Yeah, man, I, I know the temptation is comparison. I know that's the temptation is comparison, but Wade, you made it easy for me to pretty quickly round the corner and not compare myself to you. And I want to tell you how I could never be the person that gave 15 plus years to this ministry. I could never be the person that goes back in time and was here on year one and helped build the things through all the different seasons that you built it to. So because I couldn't be you, I was free to not try. And I wonder how many times we don't take long enough to take inventory of the fact that like God has created me with uniqueness and what he wants to come out of me is the sound that he's put in me. So whenever I was able to analyze, I can't be weighed. So I don't even have to play that game. Then I got to think about God, how have you wired me and how do I get to be myself in this role? Now I'm bringing strengths to it. I'm bringing flaws to it just the same as we all did. Uh, or as we all do in whatever God asks us to do. So we'll grow through the flaws and we're going to make things strong in the areas that we know that we can affect. But that that was just one thing that helped me a lot. And then another thing that helped me is my role isn't exactly yours because you don't replace somebody who gave that many years to the ministry. So I might not have to focus on some things that were heavy on your plate, but I might have a little bit more time and energy resource to give to things that might not have uh, always been in your attention. So uh, taking all of that in place and really coming to a place where I I believed that I could do something to make what was around me better. You know, that that might be better said as a question. Do you believe that you can do something to make the garden that God has placed you in better. Yeah. I think we get so much good whenever we think of ourselves as co-laborers with God, as covenant partners that he wants to work with to bring Mm -hmm. about change on the earth. Because if we don't, I think the tendency is to either be too haughty and think that it's all on us, or the tendency is to think it's all on God. I remember this one time I I was at a church and the little lady sang her song or whatever, and I Mm -hmm. went up to the foyer after church was over and complimented her on it. And I'm going to be honest, it was fine. It was fine. <laughs> the compliment was probably generous. You know what I'm saying? I, I think <laughs> so, I understand what you're saying. There. You, you know what I'm saying? And so, but the answer that she said uh, back to me was, oh, thank you, but it was all God. <laughs> and whenever we got in the car, I looked to my wife and said, that lady said it was all God. Trust me, if it was God, it would have been way better. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been way better. So the reality is there is the good thing that God does in our hearts and lives. And then there's the good thing we do with what he does in us. Hmm. And I think that's significant. So when I'm at my best, I'm reminding myself not to get too far ahead of God because I'm dependent on him, but also don't diminish my ability with what God has given me, my filters, my lenses, my experiences, my calling and the relationships I have 
Don't diminish my ability to step in and make a change when change is necessary. I think the fact that there is work around you that you notice is prophecy that you have what, enough uh, in you to organize and galvanize people to affect change in any area. Yeah. Well, I remember when I finally felt God was saying, okay, it's, I want you and your wife to step away from staff and start on this new journey. And part of what I sensed in that moment, and it wasn't an audible voice from God, but in my spirit, I felt like I heard the Lord say, I've got some, your assignment is done. I've got something else for you to do, but I also have someone else who's going to take this team where you're not supposed to take them or you're not equipped to take them. And it's helped me realize over the last year or so, as I've watched someone like you and other people on the team who have stepped up uh, to do different things that I might've done in the past. And I see how you're thriving and the team is healthy and you're bringing things that I couldn't bring. Realizing that transition in your life is not always, and it's, it's never only about you. A lot of times we think, you know, we're the center of the universe and, and God's leading us to a new season because of what he has for us. But it's also a lot of times about what he has for the people that are still there in the place that you've left. Because maybe, you know, maybe I became a lid in certain ways. Maybe I had a perspective that was needed for one season, but was limiting in the next season. And learning to embrace that honestly has been a hard thing for me in, in times. And, you know, I, I still attend elevation and sometimes I'll I'll watch the worship ministry and I'll be like, oh, I guess they didn't need me the way I thought they needed me. And that can be a, like a pity party thought or it can actually be a healthy thought of, yeah, you're not indispensable. Like God, that's the beauty of the kingdom of God. He brings different people in different times to speak something that is needed for that season, for such a time as this. And it's been so freeing to me that as we move on, then other people are moving in to make that thing healthier and the people around them healthier. And that doesn't diminish me. It just honestly empowers me to give my all to where I'm at right there, but not feel like I'm the one who has to hold the whole thing up and uh, to hold the whole thing together. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think it goes back to that same thought, like, yes, we have a part to play, affect change when it is your assignment. But then don't think you're the only person that God can use. You know, that that's a significant thing in my life and in my mind is when I think that I'm the only person God can use, I will never empower other people. And it can come across in the simplest of ways mm. in my own life. But if I hold too precious the opportunity, going back to how we started this podcast, yeah. if I hold it too precious, then I'm almost never willing to open that hand. I'm almost never willing to open that hand. And when you don't open the hand, you don't give blessing. And one of the greatest blessings that we can give to the people around us is calling them into new levels of their own greatness. And so I'm more and more, I mean, I'm saying it like I got it figured out. That is not <laughs> the truth. More and more in my life, I'm trying to understand how can I open my hand so that other people can receive a blessing of their purpose and their fulfillment and their calling. Yeah. And I love now when we, you and I get together for lunch and just hearing the things you're empowering the team to do and, and teaching the team and how you're functioning in your gift, that brings me so much joy now. And I think that's worth all the insecurity that we have to push through in order to, to get to that place. And I think it comes back, like you said, to what you're saying, like be a champion of someone else, 
being in power and equipper of someone else, because I think that's where our true joy is found. And that's where we find fulfillment in our dreams. I've said it before, like diversify your satisfaction. Like don't keep all of your satisfaction just in what you can do. But in the same way you invest in multiple stocks, multiple investments, because you don't know what's going to yield a return. Like if you can put so much of your investment in other people, I feel like you'll you'll get so much more joy in life watching them thrive, even in the seasons where you don't feel like you're thriving yourself. Now tell me this, how do you personally, when you encounter a problem or the adversary to overcome, what does that do to you emotionally? Do you do you look at it as a negative thing that you've got to fight and win? Do you look at it as a positive thing that you've got to grow through? How do you face that adversary? Oh man, that's a great question. That is such a good question. Um, there are some problems that are so significant uh, in our lives that are, are mountains that seem too big to climb. Um, anytime I, I come up against one of those, God works in my heart um, to teach me more about Him than I've ever known before. Uh, how do I manage those kind of problems? I got to get to a place of full, complete dependence on God and interdependence on others. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever I whenever I stepped into this role, I, I kind of needed a tether, Wade, because um, I was inundated with new experiences, new expectations. The people who lead me had expectations of me. The people that I lead had expectations of me. And you'll know that those don't always meet. And you're the right. person in the middle that's got to figure out the struggle or the tensions that exist within that. And I just needed some good truths that I could hold to. And for me, that always manifests as really gratitude. So that God, how, how do I express my gratitude for the assignment that you've put on my life while still giving myself some language that can serve as a tether that mm-hmm. I can come back to time and time again to help help keep me sane, to help keep me stable. And one of the things that I said all of last year, I said it to myself about a million times. I said it to our team over and over again, uh, is God, I'm just so thankful for good work to do and good people to do it with. Those two truths helped me so much because it reminded me that there was good work to do. There was good work to do. The second part reminded me I had help. I had support. I had a team. I had people around me who were pursuing God and they wanted to give their life to help building uh, the kingdom of God on the earth. And whenever I took my attention off of just myself for a little while, it helped me see the blessing better. It helped me see all, all the good things that God has given me to serve the purpose that he's called me to. And it isn't just me. It's not just isolation. It's Paul and Silas that sing in the prison so that the chains can be broken yeah. and so that the walls can fall down. So anything we're called to do, we're called to do together. Over and over again in the Bible, the us is a corporate us. It's to the church of Corinth. It's to the church of Ephesus. And so more than anything, like recognizing the us-ness of mm-hmm. our calling is so significant. Uh, It wasn't until God creates Adam and Eve that he calls it good because it's not good for man to be alone. So whenever I kind of got my head around that, that really helped carry me all last year. I'm thankful for good work to do and good people to do it with. But you know, after you spend a little time in something, 
<laughs> problems start to come uh-huh. up, right? Like just the little every day, some, some of the little things, because it's the little foxes that spoil the vine, all the little things that seem to trickle in and they can overwhelm you uh, if you let it. For those kind of problems, I'm really training myself to see them as good problems, I'm really training myself to see them as good problems. And there's so much I could say about good problems because this well, is where my headspace has been. Well, I, I love that. You've got good work, good people. Everybody cheers about that. People don't cheer about good problems. Exactly. Just but be- you, notice, you notice God had to take me there in that order. I had uh-huh. to work my way up to it. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so, so unpack that. What are you learning right now about good problems and how can you reframe a problem from an annoyance to something that's good. Man, 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 man. From an annoyance to something that's good. Um, I already said earlier in the podcast, we we had a son about 10 weeks ago. Um, last fall, while my wife was pregnant, she was in her first trimester of pregnancy. Um, we had a loss in our family, a death in our family that was impossibly tragic. Wade, you know the details. I don't need to go into all of them here. But it's the kind of thing that makes you think about life differently. It's the kind of thing that puts perspective on things um, just a little bit differently. And so whenever our son was born, we were just so happy and so elated. And I had a couple weeks where I wasn't working and I would happily get up two in the morning, four in the morning um, to feed him his bottle whenever he was crying. I remember it was about two weeks in and I was in my first week back to work and I was tired and it was two o'clock. He needs a bottle. Four o'clock. He needs a bottle. And my wife's nudging me. And uh, of course, uh, I, I go and I feed him. And I remember I'm holding him one night. And this is, this is where the Lord really started speaking this to me. And it's been developing over the past couple of months since. I'm holding my son complaining silently to myself (laughs) that he's crying, keeping me up, and I got stuff I got to do tomorrow. Hmm. And I really felt the the voice of the Lord in my life. And I remember the backdrop of the loss that we had experienced. I felt the Lord say, the fact that he's crying means there's breath in his lungs. And and right after that, right after that, I heard God say this, don't ever be mad about a good problem. Don't ever be mad about a good problem. So now, every time that boy cries in the middle of the night, oh, thank you that I can hear him. Yeah. His cr- oh my gosh, oh my gosh. His cry has become worship for me. Wait, I didn't even realize that till right now. His cry has become worship for me. Something that could have been, I gotta get up. I gotta make another four ounces. I gotta do this thing again, has become what a privilege to serve him. And I'm so thankful that God is reframing that even right now on this Zoom call or on this call with you, um, just reframing that and giving me fresh language that's mm. going to help me think differently about it the next time I counter that situation. So I don't know how far into this you want to go, but in the past two months, it's been a download. I'm seeing good problems everywhere. I'm seeing it in conversations. I'm seeing it every time I read the Bible over and over and over again. I'm just being inundated with how good problems can be when we have the right perspective. One of the scriptures that God's really been using in my heart over the past probably six weeks is John chapter two. Over and over again, I'm seeing good problems in John chapter two. Now, I would think that most people who are listening to this podcast are really, really familiar with John chapter two. It's Jesus's first miracle. It's the one where he turns water into wine. 
And I'm learning so much out of really two texts right now, John 2 and, and Luke 13. But we're talking about John 2. I'm learning so much from John 2 in the way that everybody in that story analyzed the problem. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that happened, the first problem was they were out of wine. Now, I got to call that a good problem because that means that was a good party. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it was three days into the wedding ceremony and they are out of wine. That's a problem. But here's the thing. Good problems reveal areas of lack and opportunities for improvement. So anytime a problem arises in my life, in my leadership, then I get to take that. If I, if I, if I name it something that I can learn from and I take a second to analyze it, now I can see, okay, this is revealing an area of lack and an opportunity for improvement. And I can step into that with full confidence because the fact that there is something that I can improve, that I can improve around me revealing itself, that means that there's something in me that can have an impact. Mm -hmm. The The fact that there is work that needs to be done is the evidence that I'm the one to work it. So I'm, I'm, I'm just stepping into that more and more and more. So that's the first problem in John chapter two. The second problem is Jesus says, or Mary, uh, Mary tells Jesus, hey, Jesus, I want you to go on ahead and fix this problem. What I love is she doesn't tell him how to do it. Mary doesn't say, Jesus, turn water to wine. All she says is there's a problem and I know you can fix it. That challenges me because how many times do I want to do both? Do I want to tell God, here's the problem and here's how I want you to solve it? Yeah. But Mary just says, here's the problem. I don't need to know how you can solve it, but I know for sure that you can. And that, that challenges me. And so... Obviously, uh, Jesus says something kind of crazy. This translation doesn't really come up to our culture super well, but he says, woman, my time has not yet come. I wouldn't try uh, borrowing that line around your household. I don't think it's going to work well for you. But he says, woman, my time has not yet come. But here's the thing. Mary knew his potential. Mary knew his potential. And sometimes potential will be called out of you in a problem better than in any other way because problems reveal potential. How many times have you been in a situation that once you got on the backside of that thing, you surprised yourself by how well you got through, the choice you made, the decision you made, the way that you led a team through a complicated situation? I didn't know I had that in me. And now whenever Mm -hmm. potential is called out, now all of a sudden you start to think, man, I can live life at that level. I can lead at that level. And then confidence begins to take you and, and, and begins to cause you to rise. So that's the second problem. And the third problem, this is the one that is really, really, really getting me right now. Um, Jesus looks at his servants, these servants, and he says, hey, I want you to go and fill those stone jars with water. There are six stone jars. Fill them with water. That's all Jesus says. Now, here's what you need to know. Those stone jars would have been heavy. Mm-hmm. The jars themselves were heavy each of them would have held between 20 and 30 gallons of water. 30 gallons of water, I Googled it. That weighs 250 pounds plus the weight of the jar. And Jesus said, fill it. That is a problem. That is not an easy thing to do. You're sticking a little bucket down in a well and drawing it out. How many times would you have had to do that to fill one bucket? And then they had to to fill one jar. And then they had to do it five more times when they were done with the first one. 
That's a lot of work. Yeah. That's a problem in one sense. But here's the thing. Here's what's challenging me. If the jars are heavy and the work is hard, that just means that the jars can hold a lot and it means that the work is worth it. Hmm. It would have been easy to fill a one-gallon jar, but that wouldn't have contributed much to the party. But the fact that the jars were heavy means that they could hold a lot. The fact that the work was hard meant that the work was worth it. So I'm really leaning in right now to see, okay, where is the work worth it? How can I analyze my time as a resource better to give my attention and, and my devotion and energy to the things where I can really bring about uh, change that's required? So I could talk a lot more about this, but those are the three things that are like hitting me right now. That's a really interesting perspective on the actual filling of the jars, because I think we skip right over that and don't really play that out of what that process was actually like. But that's also to me, the process where most people get discouraged and quit or grumble and, and get a terrible attitude about it. Do you have any practical steps that you take when you're in the middle of the problem and it's not looking so good anymore, it's just looking frustrating? How do you continue to push through and remind yourself that it's worth it? Practical right now is, is Yes, we, we could talk through practicals, but God is really challenging me on something other than practicals at the moment and more the spirit that I'm carrying into mm -hmm. those things because you just talked about how hard, how hard it would have been um, and we don't often think about that. But here's what I know. The Bible goes on to say, Jesus just told them to fill the jars, but it says this. It says this about the servants, that they filled the jars to the brim. That is really challenging me, Wade, because if I'm super honest, my tendency is to fill like the first one to the brim. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Each one gets a little bit less and less. Oh, dude. By the time we get to four, five, and six, it gets good enough. You know what I uh -huh. mean? Because I've been doing this and how long do I have to crank this thing? My arm's getting tired. Hey, uh, John, will you tag in, crank it a few times? And so by the time we get to four, five, and six, what used to be a full to the brim blessing becomes a good enough effort. Oh my gosh. Mm, what, starts as a, what starts as a full to the brim blessing becomes a good enough effort. Now, what do we do with that? First of all, I got to get challenged by that. I need to take inventory of every place in my life where I started strong and lost energy, lost steam. And I got to wonder what my motivation is because Jesus just told him to fill the jars. He didn't say fill it to the brim. They got to decide what full meant. Hmm. So if you will allow me for one second, I cannot prove in this, this in scripture. I will <laughs> freely admit that. But if, if I know it's a true leadership principle, but if you'll allow me to just create, take one second to create a little uh, creative hey, um, liberty, liberty here. So we know the end of the story that they take the ladle to the master of the ceremony. I'm getting excited. I'm swiveling in my chair. Um, they take the ladle to the master of ceremonies. They try it. And he says, hey, most people serve the best wine first. And then once the party's underway, we can go to the boxed stuff. But you have saved the best wine for last. Okay, here's where I'm taking creative liberties. I think Jesus would have always turned that water to wine. He understood humble submission and whenever his mom asked him to do it, he was always going to turn water into wine. He was always going to provide life for the party is a good way to say that. However, I just wonder if the quality of the wine was determined by the effort of the servants. Hmm. 
because they filled it all the way to the brim, it became the best wine. I don't know if that's true, but what I do know is true is that we partner with God to bring about change on the earth. And the other thing that I do know is true is it is true about my leadership. The experience that others have is directly linked to the excellence of my attitude. If I'm the type of person who over and over and over again, I'm only filling the jar halfway up, the people around me aren't getting a full to the brim blessing. I'm trying to walk in that more and more in my own life. I don't just want good enough anymore for the things that God's called me to in the ways I'm called to love the people around me. Good enough is no longer good enough. We got to fill that thing to the brim because if God's going to make the best wine, I want more of it. Yeah. If God's going to make the best wine, I want more of it. So I'm filling that thing to the top and I'm going to sit back and watch what God can do. I can't turn it to wine. Wade, I can't make wine. I'm not the miracle worker and I'm not called to be, but I'm the person who can do the work to fill the jar. And then I can sit back and watch what God can do. And I'm gonna call that worship. I'm gonna call that seeing good in everything. I'm gonna call that believing that God can do miracles when I have no clue how he possibly can do it, but I believe that he can. And I'm dumb enough to keep believing it too. Mm-hmm. Life, life will try to take it from me God knows that it has. Life will try to take that belief from me in all different kinds of ways. It'll, it'll threaten me in areas of my doubt. It'll threaten me in areas of my identity, my insecurity. Um, over and over again, I'm inundated with the challenge to be threatened about what I believe. But I've got a God that steps into my unbelief and he helps me there. So I'm saying, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. In the yeah. areas where I'm weak, God, step in and you make up the difference. Gosh, I, I love the point you just made about filling the jars to the brim and what that says about the spirit of the servants um, and their experience of the miracle too. Because they obviously, if they're filling it to the brim, then they're not doing it begrudgingly. They're not doing it with a grumbling attitude. They're doing it seemingly with a willing heart and an expectation and a spirit of bringing everything that they have to it. And so I'm glad you went there before getting to the practical, because I do think that's that's got to be the starting place for us. It has to be a passion and a hunger and a spirit that we have and that we bring to our day, which to me, that does segue to the practical because that kind of spirit is formed through disciplines of prayer and gratitude and community and what your intake and, and things like that, that are cultivating the right heart, which if you listen to this podcast, we talk a lot about. I'm curious what your specific disciplines are right now that are helping you carry that spirit. God right now is having me do an autopsy on the things in my life that have to go. So I have a system of prayer and journaling right now, just taking record, even just on a notes app on my phone. It it could even be writing a song that counts as a journal entry to me, um, of really taking inventory of the things that are in my life that have to go so that health can emerge in a brand new way. So there's a subtractive quality to the practical, but then there's an additive quality to the the practical. I don't know how much time we have, but can I take a couple seconds and and go to the Luke 13 tree? Because that thing- Take as long as you need. that, That thing is really working on me right now. So I just told you, I'm taking things out and I'm adding things in. So in John 2, these stories are so linked in my mind because in John 2, we see uh, someone in authority, namely Jesus, who gave an order to the servant and they went above and beyond. 
In Luke 13, we see the exact same thing in a parable that Jesus tells. So in this parable, an owner of the vineyard comes to a vineyard and he's looking around and he sees this one tree that isn't giving off any fruit. As a matter of fact, it hadn't given off fruit in years. And so he goes to the person who is the vineyard keeper, the person who is commissioned to take care of the thing that he cares about. Well, that sounds a whole lot like Eden. That sounds a whole lot like where we started this conversation with our assignment in the garden, that there is someone in authority giving us the assignment to tend a thing. So that's what we see in Luke 13. And so the owner of the vineyard keeper, or the owner of the vineyard comes to the vineyard keeper and he says, hey, this tree is giving no fruit. I want you to cut it down. Now, I want you to cut it down. That's crazy. So I think that at that point in time, the vineyard keeper would have been fully exonerated from feeling like a failure. As a matter of fact, the fact that in a whole vineyard, he was only calling out one tree that needed mm-hmm. to be cut down probably testifies to the fact that he was a pretty good vineyard keeper, you know? Yep. But here's what I love. In that moment, Wade, where the vineyard keeper could have chosen, I can just cut down the tree. It would be so much easier. I don't have to do the hard work necessary to get this tree back in order. I can just cut it down. The owner already told me that I could. He's not going to hold it against me. He didn't threaten to fire me. There was nothing like that. I could just cut it down and start over. But we're talking about excellence of attitude. I love what the vineyard keeper says. He says, okay, I want to give this tree one more year. And at that point in time, if it's not bearing fruit, then we can cut it down. But here's what I want to do. He says two things. First, I want to dig around it. And second, I want to fertilize it. Hmm. This is where it gets practical because what did I say? Whenever I answered your question to start with, I'm getting things out of my life and I'm adding things in. But the word that God has given me that's that's been a tether over and over again this year is to challenge the places in my life that I think I need to cut down. But in actual fact, there's nothing wrong with the roots. I'm so quick to cut things down and not really understand that there's nothing wrong with the roots. And I know that there was nothing wrong with the roots in Luke 13. I'll just call it the Luke 13 tree. I know there was nothing wrong with the roots of the Luke 13 tree because the two things the vineyard keeper said that he wanted to do to bring it back to health had nothing to do with the tree. He said, I'm going to dig around it and I'm going to fertilize it. Those aren't things you do to a tree. Those are things that you do to dirt. So I'm not an arborist, but I looked it up. What does it mean to dig around a tree? Why would you dig around a tree? You would dig around a tree so that you could excavate the area because every weed, every moss, every blade of grass, every flower that tries to grow up in the soil surrounding that tree would have been competing for nutrients that that tree needed to survive. Now, if you're a mature tree, cool. Let a little moss grow. Let some grass grow around you. You can sustain that. But when you're in a season of life where you're weak and you are struggling to produce, you've got to focus on the things you have to get out of your life like weeds. Dig around it. Say nothing gets in this inside of this circle that isn't helpful for my destiny and isn't challenging my potential. Nothing gets inside of the circle that isn't good for me. Right now, there are some things that in in the hearts and minds that the people who are listening to this podcast, you can think right now, there's some things that got to go. There are some things that have to go. So digging a circle around the tree was getting the things out that threatened potential. And then he said, I'm gonna fertilize it. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna get the things out that have to go 
and I'm going to get new potential in. I'm yeah. going to get new possibility in. And whenever I focus on that in my own life, that's whenever I feel like I am becoming that person with the fold of the brim blessing. I'm becoming that person with that attitude that wants to fill it to the jar. Because it's so easy, y'all, to cut it down. It's so easy just to cut it down. Now, let me say it this way. It's so easy to cut them down. The people who are tough to love, <laughs> you know who I'm talking about right now. You got three names in your head. <laughs> the people who are really tough to love. It's so easy to cut people out, to cut people down. But it's so much better to do the work to restore people to health. It's so much better to draw a circle around it and say, I'm going to contribute to your success. I'm going to contribute to your potential. I'm going to help you get some weeds out of your life, and I'm going to help you get new possibility in. That challenges me, man, because I can give up on people quick sometimes. And sometimes the person I can give up on the quickest is myself. Yeah. It's easier to cut it down. It's easier to say, I give up. It's easier to say, I quit. It's easier to say, this is jar six. It doesn't need to be full, full. It can just be good enough. I hope I'm speaking to somebody today because I'm speaking to myself because I need to believe this. I need to believe that I can do so much with what God has given me if I have the right attitude and if I'm willing to do the work required. And any problem is a good problem mm -hmm. if it does two things. One, reminds you of your complete dependence on Jesus and reminds you of your interdependence on others. Any problem is a good no. problem if it reminds you of your complete dependence on Jesus and your interdependence on others. So I'm trying to live in that lane as best I can. Some days I get it right, some days I swing and miss. But as long as I'm keeping that, the rhythm of, of my focus, man, it's doing good work for me, man. I don't know if you can tell I'm excited about it. I love it. Hey, when you start swiveling on your chair, we know that you're... Woo. Yeah, the fire has come. I didn't do I didn't do a full 360. It was like just left or right kind of zone. But if these uh if I wasn't tethered with these headphones, we might have got a whole Pentecostal swivel. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I really like the Luke 13 tree illustration because you know what do you need to dig around or you know remove, and what do you need to fertilize? Because you said it's the dirt. It's really if we look at it in our context, look at the environment of our life. Look at what we surround ourselves with. Our, our inputs, our outputs. And I think that's a good practical step for people to take from this interview. Number one, what is a good problem that I'm facing right now? And how can I frame it as a good problem? How can I, how can it draw me more towards dependence on God and interdependence with other people, which I love how you put that. And then for me to maintain a fill it to the brim spirit, what in my heart needs to be subtracted and what needs to be fertilized. I think there's so much that we can process over the next week if we really take some of those questions and prayerfully consider them and prayerfully listen to what the Spirit wants to say to us. So, man, I love your passion, Reggie. I love, I love how any conversation I have with you, just the Word of God is just always on the tip of your tongue. And that to me is the fruit of somebody who walks with Jesus, who wrestles with the truth of God's word, because if you're not wrestling with it, you're not really meditating on it. Come on, say that. I always sense from you, you're somebody who wrestles well with God. <laughs> so you you wrestle in a way that you're you're wanting to understand, you're wanting to obey, but then you approach it with surrender. And you know, you want to be a good servant 
and follower of Christ. So thank you for just what you you mean to me, your friendship to me, the amazing work you're doing at, at Elevation. I just, I love you a lot and I'm in your corner and I, I'm cheering you on. I love you too, Wade. Thanks for inviting me on the podcast today, man. Had an absolute blast. Hey, we could go for another hour. I know. <laughs> uh, at least, dude. <laughs> at so least. We'll have to have you back. <laughs> I'd love it. I would absolutely love it. All right. Thanks, Reggie. Thanks, Wade. Thanks for listening or watching today. Please like and subscribe, uh, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening to this as a podcast. It really helps when you do that. And don't forget to download the first chapter of my book, This Dream Is Not For You. I really think it'll encourage you. All right, I'll see you back here next week for more dreamers and disciples. Mm -hmm.